For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm meteorologist Kirsty Zontini. And I'm meteorologist McCall Vrydags. This is a podcast all about weather. We are two broadcast meteorologists in Dayton, Ohio. And we just can't stop talking about weather. So when we're not on TV, we figured why not jump behind the mic to answer your weather questions and talk about all things meteorology. Now remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Well, we've got another special episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast for you because it is Cloudy with a Chance of Vodcast this week. So exciting. We're at the National Weather Service in Wilmington, Ohio, talking to a couple of great, wonderful meteorologists. Yes. If you're wondering who our friends are, well, uh, they are pretty important to us, and we're going to talk a little bit with them in just a minute. But if you are uh, wondering what's going on this November, which Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are, We've had a little bit of everything so far this yeah. season. It's been quite active. Yeah. Uh, just the beginning of fall, we've talked about this before, it was warm going into October, mm-hmm. then a big drop in temperatures, yeah. and we've really kind of struggled to get back to get average, back. I right. feel like, as far as our afternoon highs. Mm-hmm. Um, just this past weekend, though, it was quite nice. We were in yeah. the 50s for Saturday and Sunday, but then Monday came and the bottom rough. just dropped out. It was rough. And I feel like that's typical, especially as we end mm-hmm. fall, get into winter, you really get those like pretty decent temperature swings. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could start to really see the cold air intrude and yeah. kind of linger. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing, at least for the beginning of this week. And then again, we push back up. And then again, for December, we'll fall back down. Yeah. So. What I've noticed is the Arctic oscillation. Mm -hmm. which if you don't know what it is it's uh, stratospheric winds that go around the polar region and when it goes into its negative phase the winds weaken and we start to get these big dips in the jet stream that allow that cold air north to surge southward Mm -hmm. and we've really been negative for a while and I looked at the long range and it doesn't look like we're gonna go back positive anytime soon so does mean we're probably going to see cold air sticking with us for a while. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot in the winter, especially Miami Valley winters, that of course we always are looking at El Nino and La Nina, but really here a big driver, of course, is the Arctic Oscillation. Mm -hmm. What is it doing? When does it phase positive? When does it phase negative? Um, So that, of course, when you hear us referencing this, this will be a big driver for us when we start to really talk about the cold outbreaks of winter time. Mm -hmm. And that cold... (laughs) It's even worse than what we've been dealing with in November. Exactly. This will be uh, definitely an interesting winter weather season for us. We've had a couple of tastes of snow. Um, As we record this podcast, as we speak, we are dealing with a little bit of a snow globe looking kind of day where we've just had flurries and some of us have seen some snow showers a little further south, southern Ohio, northern Kentucky. So uh, definitely giving us a taste of winter, even though we're still technically in fall. I know. 
I mean, while the air temperature itself has dropped off dramatically, fortunately, there's been a lag in the ground temperature yes. not falling off as quick because yes. of these uh, recent systems with the freezing rain that we had mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago and the snow showers that came in last night. Had this been the middle of December or January, probably those oh, yeah. road conditions would have been way worse. And I'm just thankful that the freezing rain event came when it did yeah. and not in the middle of winter because would've the ice rough. on the roads would have been extremely yeah. dangerous. Oh, yeah. It would have just been and this that ice storm was I mean still extremely impactful but if we were getting that sort of ice accumulation on more than just the elevated surfaces yeah. the tree limbs the power lines if that was really uh, touching and coating on itself the roadways I mean I, that would have been catastrophic for us so mm -hmm. we are lucky that those ground temperatures have kind of still been slow to cool down as they should it's still yeah. November um, but this is also the first couple of uh, days now where I've really started to notice looking at a lot of the ODOT sensors. Um, and ODOT was on our podcast last week that we are starting to get those reads into the 30s. And especially when we have um, those early morning road temps, if we're getting snow, if it's falling fast enough and it's sticking to itself, it does like start to drop. So yeah. that's something we really, you know, have to pay close attention to this time of year. And winter can be very tricky. I know that um, we live in a severe weather market, and I feel like for the most part, we've got a good handle on how to inform the public on mm -hmm. severe weather situations. But when it comes to winter weather, yeah. it can oftentimes be a little bit hard to get that information out and let people know that um, they should pay attention a little bit more. Right. And our guests today are really going to help break that down for us. Yes. Um, as far as you know, advisories, warnings, mm -hmm. and, and really what uh, we should be letting the public know during winter weather season. Yeah. Uh, we've got some unique weather setups here in the Miami Valley. We can have uh, systems that bring us rain, sleet, freezing rain, snow, but then we have uh, a location where we can get lake effect snow, yeah. perhaps even uh, snow squalls, and snow mm -hmm. squalls tend to be the most dangerous for oh, our yes. area as far as seeing accidents on the highways. So I'm really excited to pick the brains of the meteorologists that we have with us today. We do. We have two really special meteorologists with us today. And it is a great partnership, of course, that the National Weather Service has with media and with broadcast meteorologists because we do have to work hand in hand and together. Um, but so our meteorologists today, we have Seth Binow, who is the Science Operations Officer, nine years at the National Weather mm -hmm. Service office in Wilmington. Ohio, which is fantastic. And then, of course, Brandon Peliquin, who is the Warning Coordination Meteorologist, almost four years. Three years and nine months, correct? <laughs> <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, who's, who's counting? Who's counting? Um, and so, Brandon, you are kind of similar to McCall. I mean, McCall and I started a little bit before you here in the Miami Valley. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, you know, you're coming up on the same milestones as we are here. Uh, but Seth, you've been here longer than, than all of us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, we just, first, let's talk a little bit about your titles. Because, to be honest, that was kind of a mouthful mm -hmm. yep. of what I just explained. Um, so, for someone who does not know what you're doing every day, Seth, why don't you first kind of break down what your operations are? As science operations officer here at the Weather Service in Wilmington, my job is um, science, technology infusion into the forecast process, be a liaison with local research and universities, students, uh, bringing all that into the forecast process to ensure that our forecast processes continue to be scientifically rooted and scientifically based. Um, and, you know, the technology is an ever-changing part of our job, mm -hmm. and if we don't embrace it, you know, we're left behind. So 
we have to keep up with the latest, all the new computer models, yeah. all the new uh, different ways that radar data and satellite data can help us detect hazardous weather. So it's a it's a always changing job. Mm -hmm. No day is the same. It's a wonderful thing about my job. But uh, training is a huge component of it, as well as science and technology infusion. So it's 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 a really exciting job that I'm I'm thankful to be to have here at the Weather Service. When I first came, um, I think I was only here a couple of months, and Seth and the team invited us down um, to teach all of the local media about dual, dual pole radar. Yeah. And that just goes to show the partnership that media has with the National Weather Service uh, to teach us about what this new product and this new radar was uh, gonna be able to show us and help us to track and talk about severe weather, so. It's a partnership that even as I'm a more internally focused in terms of I work with my staff very closely mm -hmm. on science and training, uh, to have, you guys are the voice of what we do mm -hmm. uh, to get the word out when hazardous weather hits. So to have that partnership and to see it take place every day is, is really important both to me and the, you know, the weather service in general. Yeah, I agree. Um, Brandon, tell us a little about yourself. Sure, well, while Seth's position has an internal focus, my position has an external focus. Mm -hmm. I tend to work with our partners, mm -hmm. broadcast media, emergency management at both the state and local level and seek feedback from them and I can take that information and talk it over with Seth and the rest of our staff so we can essentially give a better service to our mm -hmm. partners and the citizens in the community too. Yeah, because I think some people also get confused. We do not issue watches and warnings. Yeah. On, you know, we relay them, of course, and it's super important that we do so, but you are the agency that actually triggers warnings in the Miami Valley and across the country, and there are weather service offices across the country. So um, in that process, maybe just kind of explain. So, you, you know, you guys are staffed 24-7, um, but, but for that process, what your forecasters are looking for, the, um, the triggers that are being pulled, I know that there's a lot of criteria that, that your men and women have to really look for before they're saying tornado warning. Um, and I know it's probably a pretty long process to explain, but just maybe shed a little bit of light for someone that's like, who's the one that's saying there's a tornado warning? <laughs> well, I think that's a great question because we a lot of times have to marry criteria what we generally think is going to cause impactful or significant weather for the people we serve versus impact itself. Look out the window today, light snow. Now we have advisory criteria. We'd like to see so many inches of snow before we issue an advisory. But impacts can occur well below those standard criteria yes. thresholds. And that decision is a very difficult one. Mm -hmm. Weather does not behave in absolutes. So yeah. you can't just say one inch of snow means an advisory because one inch of snow in the middle of January, when you talk about pavement temperatures, yes. yeah. means a lot different than one inch of snow in early November when pavement temperatures are warm. Mm -hmm. So we have to be constantly on our feet in, mere, in bringing together a lot of different data sets, pavement temperatures, uh, radar data, uh, the latest computer models to decide when do we alert the public. And we have to walk that line very carefully because you don't want to do it too much. Yeah, right. Because then everybody says, well, you issue everything all the time and nothing happens for me, so I'm not going to take any action. Right. Well, we don't want that. But we also don't want to let hazardous events happen without any heads up. Mm -hmm. So walking that line is a very f delicate thing. Um, and it's, it's something we're constantly learning. And when things happen, 
that we don't, you know, particularly predict well mm -hmm. or things, you know, fly in under the radar, so to speak. Right. We take those as learning moments and we do a lot of training and post-event analysis to learn from those so that we're constantly getting better. Yeah. So what does your network include? Because I, I know personally, sitting in the studio, I can look at radar and I can see it looks like it's snowing, and but I may not necessarily have ground truth or what's happening. You work with emergency management. Like, who are you talking to? Because I, you, you're sitting here. It's different from being out there. It's a huge difference from being out there, and that's why you know Brandon invests a ton of time in spotter training. Mm -hmm. uh, trains I don't know how many thousands of people every year <laughs> via spotter training, and he works so closely with our emergency management. From a observational, we you know observational platforms, all the different automated weather sensors and there's hundreds within the Miami Valley that we use. People that go out and buy personal weather stations yeah. and stick them in their backyard and upload that data to the internet, we're using that data. Yes. Yeah. And so between all those different networks of humans and machines, it's a great way and a, and a very vast way that we can keep, keep track of ongoing weather. And you guys also have um, MPing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which I love. <laughs> and that's when you're out, you know, you're standing outside and you're going, Oh, it's snowing. Well, the National Weather Service wants to know that. So I, if you're someone in the public that maybe doesn't know how the app works or how they can uh, be a part of everyday weather watchers, which truly is a huge help in the wintertime in particular, I think, um, how can someone you know, get involved and, and download the app and then be able to record their information, what they're seeing. Yeah, the, the MPing app is great. Just go and download it. And the beauty of it is within seconds of someone's observation of hey, I've got snow, ice pellets, freezing rain, yep. we can throw it right on top of our radar displays and it is automatically ingested into our system. And what better ground truth than that? Yeah. And you're crowdsourcing weather information and that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a great way to grasp modern day technology into the forecast process. Yeah, we always say that we need eyes. Yeah, I know. We need everyone's eyes. Well, and I think that's that's a great point. A lot of people might think, well, the National Weather Service has a Doppler radar, and they're only mm -hmm. looking at Doppler radar where, when deciding whether to issue that tornado warning or yeah. that flash flood warning. But there's so many other data sets that we're, we're looking at and we're in tune to. Yeah. And people out there, those eyes in the sky, they're such an important part of the warning process. Yeah, yeah I don't think the, the public always realizes that they're part of this team yes. and this process to, um, you know, not only impacting their lives but you know the people around them that their information could potentially save someone's life you know we're the ones that are relaying the information but we do rely on them um, Brandon since you've been here and I haven't been here a long time by any means but I've seen a lot of changes as far as um, advisories and for example we don't have freezing rain advisories anymore um, we've also got a new snow squall warning. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about those changes and why they've happened? Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of the changes are occurring at a national level. So in other words, the Wilmington, Ohio forecast office isn't the only office implementing mm -hmm. these changes. A lot of the other offices are as well. With the freezing rain advisory, that's a headline we could issue a few years ago and, and before then, but now, there's an effort to uh, simplify headlines, and that is one specific simplification change. Instead of a freezing rain advisory, those freezing rain conditions or the icing from freezing rain would fall under the umbrella of the more generic winter weather advisory, mm -hmm. which we've 
always issued for right. snow events or mixed precipitation events as well. So in general, there's, there's a push to simplify some of those headlines because there's a lot of headlines yeah. out there, a yeah. lot of watches and <laughs> so warnings many. and advisories, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's a push to try and simplify those and, and certainly freezing rain to winter weather advisory is one of those and I think in the years to come we'll see, see more of that, not just with the winter program, but perhaps with the hydrology and the flood program too. Yeah. Um, winter weather advisories, the umbrella is more based upon road impacts, yeah. is that correct? Or, because um, sometimes why is it a winter weather advisory instead of a winter storm warning? Yes. And you know, the difference and, and you know, winter weather advisory, you think snow, but like you said, it does include freezing rain. So is the advisory more specific for road impacts? Well, advisories focus in on more nuisance type yeah. winter events. We're looking at a couple of different things when we're determining whether to issue a winter weather advisory or a winter storm warning. We do have set criteria, for example, for snowfall, X amount of inches mm -hmm. relates to an advisory, time, right? and then Y amount of inches or higher would be a warning. So we're looking at actual numbers of snow accumulation, and the same goes for ice accretion yeah. as well. Uh, we have to consider impact too. Absolutely. And there are some cases where even a small amount of snow, yeah. if it could have a high impact maybe during a rush hour during the week, we can issue a winter weather advisory even though the Snow actual amount. number of snow amount, whether it's two inches or four inches, depending yeah. on, on where you are, uh, might not meet, meet that number, because yeah. impact has to be considered. And the same goes for a winter storm warning, too. For kind of on the high-end advisory in terms of the number itself, yeah. if there's going to be a huge impact, we may pull the trigger on that warning. Yeah, and I think that that's um, a lot of times, and I don't want to completely generalize the public, but people can get caught up too much on snow totals only and that's something that we really do have to explain especially mm -hmm. I mean I work a morning shift so a lot of my life is the morning rush and so when you guys are issuing winter weather advisories and I know we're maybe talking about an inch I have to keep highlighting the fact that guys it's not about you're not going to get three inches of snow today but you're getting snow that's falling hard and heavy right from 7 to 9 a.m. Um, so I do get that that part of it is also just it's not always about getting six inches of snow. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes it's smaller snows that can really cause problems for us here That's in the Miami Valley. Right. And it's all about the risks for each individual, each individual, individual, individual. person <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. You know, if they're out commuting in their car, a half an inch of snow or an inch of snow means everything. Yes. If you're sitting in your home or at the office all day, half an inch of snow or an inch right. of snow looks beautiful and it, it's no, and you, it's no big deal. Why are you issuing an advisory for something that's yeah. seemingly so meaningless? So it's all about impact, uh, something that we have to keep very much on our plates in terms of, again, bringing together what standard criteria is and what will the actual impact of the event will be. And sometimes that, that, that's a really tricky decision. Yeah. And I know something that's impactful that McCall kind of brought up earlier um, are snow squalls yeah. in the Miami yes. Valley. Yeah. So, We've seen them, unfortunately, well, you guys have as well, but we've covered them as well on the news side of pileups being created because of these squalls. Um, mm -hmm. So do you want to explain the new, what's new this year? I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Well, maybe a little background. Look at some of the big snow events that have occurred in, in recent years. And typically with those, we would have a winter storm warning in effect. Mm -hmm. And the message is out there. People know that's coming, hopefully, days in advance. Those big snow events are not the ones that have high impact on the roads. They're not 
the ones that lead to a lot of fatalities and injuries. Yeah. It's these snow squall events that we've discovered. Those are the ones that are having the hugest impact. Yeah. And with snow squalls, we're not talking about inches of snow. Right. We're talking about you're driving on the road, everything's fine, and then in a matter of seconds, you hit a, a whiteout. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like a mini blizzard. Yeah. And of course, you're going 70, 75, you've got to put on the brakes, and that can be a bad situation. And maybe there's only a half of an inch or less yeah. of snow that results in a short period of time, but that's enough to potentially create some major, major issues in multi-car pileups on roadways. Yeah, I think I was uh, in recent years at a talk, I believe, that maybe you were even giving before the snow squall warning um, was issued or came about, but talking about the difficulties of forecasting mm -hmm. a snow squall, it's not easy to know days out that this type of an event is going to happen. And um, I know that you guys have been keeping a lot of data and studying this every year. Do you guys feel that maybe you're starting to catch a little bit of a, you know, Some break? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We have meteorologists here that have done an outstanding job in um, databasing and then going back and reanalyzing snow squall events, fatal mm -hmm. snow squall pileup events yeah. in the Miami Valley. And I feel like we've really learned about the environment that create these snow squalls. Mm -hmm. And that's half the battle. Yeah. Half the battle is detection in real time. The other half is predicting right. in advance yep. to give folks you know, adequate lead time so that, hey, if they're out traveling the interstates uh, two days from now, that they can be prepared yeah. and maybe think, okay, maybe I'd better do my traveling tomorrow instead of the day of the snow squalls. Mm -hmm. That's what we're getting after here. And, and like Brandon alluded to, we were finding that in these big winter storms when traffic is creeping and crawling around, people weren't dying. Right. And as you know, the Weather Service primary mission, protection of life and yes. property. So these big pileups keep happening with snow squalls. We were having fatalities on our roadways. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't sit well with any of us. Yeah. That's, you know, when you embrace the mission of the Weather Service life and property, you want to mitigate you know, fatalities as much as possible. So we started down this road three to five years ago about really learning about the details of snow squalls, how they form, what are their impacts, mm -hmm. working closely with ODOT, which is a huge separate part of yeah. this partnership. Um, and I feel like we've learned a lot and we still have a lot more to learn, but I think this is gonna be a great thing for people to get awareness of these types of days and these types of impacts. Let's go backwards just a little bit. If I'm listening and I'm going, well, what's a snow squall? What's a snow squall? It's basically, if it's put it in very simple terms, it, like Brandon said, it's a blizzard contained in a half an hour's worth of snow. Uh, or think of it as a thunderstorm that only produces snow. It's a, it's yes. a very intense shower of snow that basically creates whiteout conditions at a very sh in a very short amount of time with strong wind gusts. Mm -hmm. Although wind doesn't have to be a part of it, it can just right. be a very localized, extremely mm -hmm. high rate of snowfall yeah. in a small area. So as Brandon says, from an impact perspective, this impacts our traveling public. On these types of days, there's some people that don't get a flake of snow. Right, yeah. it's sunny And so they're, they're like, yes. what's the big hubbub? You know, I, I, my, my yard's, the roads are dry, my yard is right. green. And it's sunny. And it's sunny. And it's yeah. exactly. legitimately for sunny. for people who are out there on the interstates going 70 miles an hour, they're in sunny skies and dry roads. Yeah. And then within a matter of a mile, they're in a whiteout with mm -hmm. snow-covered roads. They slam on the brakes. They start to spin. Cars coming up behind can't stop. And the next thing you know, you have a 150-car pileup with multiple fatalities. That's what we're trying to get at. Yeah. Uh, and it takes a, a new product, like mm -hmm. a snow squall warning, and, and increased communication with agencies like ODOT 
to get that warning in front of people where it matters most. That's right. not on NOAA Weather Radio at the time. No, right, exactly. Because most people aren't traveling with NOAA Weather. It's getting it to their phones and on yes. their vehicle, vehicle displays so yeah. that they can get that information and, and be prepared to yeah. say, hey, I might be traveling into that. I better slow it down a little bit today. I think the thunderstorm analogy, mm -hmm. that's that's an excellent way of putting it to people because it truly is. It's like on a summer day where yep. it's sunny yep. and nice where you're driving mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you hit a storm and it's thunder, lightning, hail, you know, white out because the rain is falling so hard. Right. That is a perfect way of describing, mm -hmm. especially what the snow squall setup looks like yep. for us here in the Miami Valley. Yep. Well, and that analogy continues with how we would issue a snow squall warning too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're looking at our screen and we're drawing a box or a polygon, yes. like a severe thunderstorm warning or a flash flood warning mm -hmm. or a tornado warning to issue that snow school warning product. So we're only targeting that area that we think is going to have the highest impact from that snow squall. So these snow squall warnings will be in, in effect okay. for 30 to 60 minutes at a time over right. very small geographic areas. They won't be covering all of Southwest Ohio or West Central Ohio. Or even will, all of the county, right? Right, right. Yeah. It could be, and just like you said, it could be sunny yeah. in northern Montgomery County and a snow squall warning in southern Montgomery County and two very different, but if you're on I-75 yeah. traveling north or south, you know, you could have tremendously different impacts across just even half of a county because of that. So I'm thinking I'm driving on the roads. I'm the ODOT signs, would it say snow, qual snow squall potentials today? Um, or would it say if you warning. drove into an area that was a warning, would it say it? It would have uh, specific call to actions that we've worked with ODOT and it would stress low visibility, heavy yeah. snow. Um, there's, there's a finite number of characters on those ODOT right. signs. And right. so we've worked closely with ODOT to, to make sure the message gets across about what people are going to really, instead of focusing that a snow squall warning, but get them the information of very heavy snow, whiteout conditions, very low visibilities, because those are the things that are going to cause people to take action. Yeah. Uh, if they see the word snow squall warning, they might initially right, say, like, okay, what's that? Right. But if you get them the actionable data right on the, the, the ODOT signs, uh, that's very powerful, yeah. and, and, and that's where motorists need it. Most motorists are looking at the road, right? And hopefully they're not looking at their phone. Yeah, right. but we know that happens. Right. But you know th those those ODOT signs are all over the place, and so by getting those targeted messages up there, we're getting it right in front of drivers. That I mean, that's a huge advancement in my mm -hmm. opinion, especially. Um, for like you said, these are this is the fatality causing snow mm -hmm. scenario here because you get the big snows and ODOT's out. They're pre-treating, they're plowing. People are ready for six they're inches of snow. They're driving slower. Everyone's driving slow, right. and it's it's these like real quick, abrupt change to your day that unfortunately catches people off guard. So I really think this is just going to be a huge help for this winter. I know. Yeah. Um, any tips for drivers that you can think yeah. about as far as if they come up upon a snow squall? I mean, is it the same as driving on an icy road? Just slow down, stay the course, try not to slam on your brakes. Try not to slam on your brakes. There's going to be, a, when you're driving from 70 mile an hour in dry roads it's hard. into a wide out, I mean, it's alarming. It really, really it, it is really terrifying. It really is alarming, and especially when you're looking in the mirror and an 18-wheeler is coming up yeah, behind yep. you at 70 miles an hour. The, your options are pretty limited, but in my opinion, half of the battle is being prepared and knowing ahead of time that Correct. you might run into that. Yes. Because the more you know that, the more you're, you're mentally prepared to take it's action. It's not as scary all of a right. sudden to see right. that. Right, so yeah. yeah, don't slam on your brakes. Um, and, and, you know, obviously have your headlights on and those types yeah, of things. Yeah. 
uh, be going slower to begin with right. so that when you do get into the snow covered roads and you do apply gentle braking that you're not going into a spin mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you're involved and, and this is really important to me if you're involved in one of these big pileups we see people getting out of their vehicles and standing beside their car as cars can stay do in your vehicle until yeah. you and you, this is a decision each and every individual has to make but stay in the vehicle until you feel like it's safe to exit yeah but initially we see people getting out and cars are still flying in and yeah. they have no control and we see a lot of the fatalities are actually people standing alongside their vehicle in these pileups so yeah. stay in the vehicle until the pileup you know at least around no you one has around stopped. you is coming then anymore, exit right. your vehicle and get as far away as possible because yeah. The reality is, is sometimes these accidents take five, six, seven minutes to develop yeah. as cars keep slamming into yeah. everybody. It's a yeah. chain reaction. It is. It and really I will say, is. knowing that, seeing the sign, like you said, knowing that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think if you pay attention, because I know when I'm driving on a day when I know that there's snow squalls, if I'm actually looking at the sky, sometimes yeah. you can see you that can, there's yeah. a snow squall that you Absolutely. might be coming up on because you will be driving in sunshine, but then you just see like you see a like wall a, of rain. Mm -hmm. yep. Initially, it will look like flurries when, mm -hmm. as you yes. come into it, but then it's instant that you're hitting this wall of snow. But I think if you start to turn the radio down, make sure right. that you're paying attention, Put don't be looking at your phone. On sooner yeah, and just later. kind of looking at your environment around you, I think that that could help you to be safer on the roads as well. Yeah, I agree because it does, it almost looks like, um, not fog, but you know, when you off yeah. in the distance, how you see lower visibility and you're kind of like, what is that? Well, on these days where we have snow squall scenarios, if you're seeing that off in the distance, you're likely gonna drive up upon it. So mm -hmm. that's great. Um, McCall and I both grew up in Lake Effect Snowland. I'm Cleveland and she's uh, uh, upstate New York. Um, it It is very alarming to drive in snow squalls, like Lake mm -hmm. Effect snow squalls. and it's like we're getting our own little version, different setup, but we're getting our own version of that down here in the Miami Valley. Um, so yeah, the more drivers are aware that this is going to be something we could run into in the winter time, um, hopefully the more, the, the better equipped that they will be mm -hmm. to drive in this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, moving past winter, yeah. I think a little bit, um, but still in the winter season, people um, will have to start thinking of severe weather season. Yes. And we were talking about this off camera and off mic before we started about the fact that uh, we have severe weather training and skywarn training in the late winter months leading mm -hmm. into spring months. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah, every year, usually between February and April, uh, National Weather Service hosts quite a few spotter training classes and these are opportunities for existing spotters to have a little refresher training, knock the rust off and get ready for the new severe weather season, but also for people who are not already spotters to come in, be trained in the two hour class and become our eyes in the sky to let us know what types of uh, severe weather might be happening and those reports really help us out when we're making that warning decision. Yeah. And uh, they're great, great classes. Even if um, you may be afraid of thunderstorms, I find that they can be very interesting to kind of ease mm -hmm. people's fear because you really get to learn a lot about what you're seeing, how to stay safe, what you're experiencing. And if you have been to one before, um, we've gone to several over the years, each year is something different. You guys will do case studies or mm -hmm. you know, you'll have games at the end where you're just pulling different weather scenarios yeah. and kind of quizzing the public. So um, it's, it's definitely worth, uh, and it's, it's free and open to the public, so. Um, you said you're coming up with the date, so if people are looking towards January, February, is that when 
you might be posting start. them on your website yeah. as to when they'll happen? On, on our website, at the top of the page under news headlines, I would say by early January we'll have a link to that schedule. Mm -hmm. And we're likely going to have about 40 classes and a lot of the counties, I think most of the counties across the Miami Valley will have yeah, their a own class. class. Yeah. Uh, one of the more popular ones is, is in Dayton, mm -hmm. in Montgomery County. Typically that one is the second Saturday in March. Okay. And uh, right now we're taking all the requests and putting the schedule together. So in uh, less than a couple of months we'll have that posted for everybody. Is the website nws.com backslash ILN? Weather.gov backslash okay. ILN. Yes, yep. there we go. That's right. Um, Easy to visit. What else? Um, I'm trying to, oh, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but clarification, and I feel like simplifying is, like you said, it has been a unifying theme for the National Weather Service. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's a huge part of our job. We always say we could forecast as accurate as anyone, but if I can't, explain my forecast to you properly, then it yep. doesn't matter that I was right. right. Um, so I guess what steps forward will the National Weather Service continue to take when it comes to simplification, clarifying, that kind of thing? Anything that you could share with us, I guess, now? Well, uh, right now the National Weather Service is looking for further ways to simplify headlines. Mm -hmm. And uh, Weather Service has hosted several uh, focus groups. In fact, I was just at one down in Louisville a few weeks ago and what they're doing their uh, National Weather Service headquarters is seeking feedback from not only internal folks, mm -hmm. field office weather service people, but also partners, broadcast media mm -hmm. and emergency management and then some other partners such as uh, maybe transportation or even schools because they're impacted yeah. by severe weather and uh, winter weather as well. So seeking feedback from all these groups and based on surveys and some other, other things there, the Weather Service can make the best decision to uh, inform the public about hazards. I think some of these changes, we've already seen some winter weather changes like we talked about right. with the freezing rain advisory. Some of these other changes we'll probably see within the next two or three years. Wonderful. I think that'll be a big help. Um, one last thing, just as, as meteorologists, uh, we can get beat up from time to time <laughs> uh, if we have a forecast that uh, maybe uh, is more than we expected mm -hmm. or less than we expected. You touched on it a little bit because I always say if we messed up snow totals, trust me, we're beating ourselves up oh, more yes. than it impacts. Yeah. Like, I promise you we're more upset. Um, but you said you guys go back and you reanalyze. So kind of explain that because it is very important. We've gone back before yeah, we don't and been just like, move what on. did we miss? Why did we miss that? What did we miss? Um, so kind of talk about how that's a huge, I mean, I, it is a huge part of our, it's a very humbling career. <laughs> it, is, it is a very humbling career and we have to all remember that meteorology is a science and a science we know very little about in the grand scheme of things. It's going to be a long, long time before we can say we're perfectly accurate in all facets of weather forecasting. So. As scientists, we do have to, it's a, it's a constant evolution and a constant learning. And the only way you do that is study where your mistakes, where you fall down. Uh, I can tell you that the people that work here at the National Weather Service are the most dedicated and, and um, science-rooted meteorologists in, that I know. And, and they wear it on their sleeves. They, they want to do, they come in every day, 24-7, 365, holidays, weekends, nights. And, and work really hard to try to make the most accurate forecast out there. But it's a science, and just like any of the science fields, it doesn't always go right. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, especially if there's impact to people, we're learning why, because you're not gonna get better if you admit your mistakes 
and, and study why they happened. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of what we do and, and how we're always striving to get better. And I think that's true to form because you can't be too egotistical to not ask a question. Yeah. I know that Kirsty and I will always be reaching out to either one of you. I know Seth a lot of the times yeah. I'm writing an email <laughs> asking some kind of question because uh, I want to learn and yeah. be able mm -hmm. to forecast better the next time and somebody else might know an answer or have insight um, as to make that forecast more accurate and it is a partnership. Yeah. Um, we do talk to each other and, we do. and it's all in an effort to keep the public safe. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you guys were absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, we appreciate you taking time because you do have very busy days. Yeah. Um, so thanks for sitting down with us mm -hmm. and uh, being a part of our vodcast, which is awesome. Yeah. Especially. We enjoyed this. Yes. Appreciate it. We're going to have to come back in severe weather season. Yes. And um, we'll have to watch a balloon launch. Oh, definitely. That is my Absolutely. goal. Yes. Um, so we'll do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you guys are going to have to be a frequent guests. And real quick, the National Weather Service Twitter handle. What is it? At NWSILN. Yes. Great to follow them as well. Um, and uh, make sure you put the the thing on Twitter where it sends you the alerts yes because it'll send it directly to your phone and I love that during severe weather season because yeah. it will send me instantly uh, you know a notification if a watch or a warning is issued I also we also have our weather app as well yeah it does the same the new snow squall warnings as well will yeah. be you know auto tweeted from our account so yeah. It's a that's great way to stay up on the really hazardous weather and the weather that's going to impact people the most. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks. You could find us, remember, uh, in your iTunes store on Google Play, Stitcher, as well as whio.com in the radio on demand section. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.